I need you to rejoin me in the book of Numbers again. Chapter 14. And I want to challenge you some tonight. So can I challenge you a little bit? Do I have permission to do so? I want to challenge you a little bit tonight. But I also want to encourage you a little bit tonight as well. So can I encourage you a little bit? Do I have permission to speak a little bit of challenge and a little bit of encouragement into your life tonight? Because I believe when we come together, both of those things should exist. We should be challenged to live with a deeper faith, but we should also be encouraged to continue in faith. So we need both tonight. So I want to give you a little bit of both. I want to give you a little bit of a challenge, but also a little bit of an encouragement. We're entering into the third installment of our series, Built Different, which involves us focusing in on the life of Caleb, who we've seen be selected as one of 12 spies to go in and scout out the promised land and then boldly claim, even against his fellow spies, that they could possess it in spite of the obstacles that stood in their way of going in. Caleb didn't fear the giants. He didn't get worried over the fortified cities. He was ready to do battle, trusting in God for victory. He's got that doggedness about him. Remember, we talked about how his name was derived from the Hebrew word Caleb, which literally means dog, and Caleb's got that about him. He's got a doggedness about him. He's just different. He's on another level than the people around him, and tonight we're about to see him level up even further. Numbers chapter 14, starting in verse 1, says, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. The glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. So after the majority of the spies had come back, and they had given a bad report of the land, the people of Israel go into an absolute uproar. All night long, we're told that they wept and they cried and they grumbled to Moses. Moses, why did you bring us here to die? Would that we have died in the land of Egypt where we came from? Would that we have even died wandering around in this wilderness? Why did you and the Lord bring us up to this point so that we could be slaughtered by swords? It would be better for us to go back to Egypt than to stay right here where we are. And that's when they come up with the plan to do just that. To go back to Egypt. They truly believed that it would be better to go backtrack into bondage than possess promise. When all you've ever known is captivity, it can be hard to accept freedom. Don't backtrack. Listen to me. Don't backtrack into bondage. Don't go back into what once held you captive. Galatians 5.1 says, For freedom Christ 
has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Ladies and gentlemen, you have permission and power in the name of Jesus to live in freedom. But our boy Caleb, he stands his ground. And he states that he ain't going back. Y'all can, but I'm not going to be going in that direction. And that brings me to my title for this message tonight, which is A Weird Way to Walk. I need you to ask the person beside you a question for me as we get started tonight. So turn to somebody beside you and ask them, do you talk the talk? Ask them, do you talk the talk? It'll make more sense later on. I've always found it interesting the many unique different ways that people walk. Now, I'm not talking about interest in the fact that we walk. Nothing about that is interesting. Seeing somebody walk is the quite normal thing. And I'm talking about the ways in which we walk. I'm talking about the intangibles. I'm talking about the mechanics. Have you ever noticed, like, some people walk around on their toes? You can usually tell by their calves who those people are. Some people walk around kind of with just a little bounce in their step. Some people trudge. I mean, you can hear them coming from a mile away. It's like, hey, pick the feet up a little bit. It's okay. You're like, we don't have to stomp around every time you go somewhere. Some people walk fast. Some people walk slow. Some people swing their arms at a decent pace. Some people swing their shoulders. <laughs> Pay attention, you'll notice. Some of you are already self-conscious. You're thinking about, mm, what am I? What do I look like when I walk? I'm trying to think. Hey, listen. I find this extremely interesting. Some people will change their walk with their emotions. Agreed? So you've got like the mad frustrated walk. Like <laughs> You've got the I'm excited about something walk. So like I've got a, I don't know if I'm supposed to run or not. And so I kind of skip hop on my way there. You've got the my dog just died walk. Ashley's not in here, is she? You've even got, we've even got a model walk, right? Like the Where are my lights at? You've got to have the model walk. It's amazing how people will change their walk even with their emotions. We all have our own ways in which we walk. As men and women of God, born-again followers of Jesus, we've been talking about how our lives are built different. And like we've seen with Caleb, we're made a different way. We see a different way, and we're to walk a different way. But the emphasis isn't on the walk. It's on the way. So our focus for tonight, I want you to understand, isn't on the walk, but on the direction or the way in which you are choosing to walk. Caleb is making it a point to show the people. He's walking in a different way. He's not going in the same direction as we should be as well. But that means a few things. First off, it means that we don't conform to the crowd. If you go back and look at verse 4 in chapter 14, it says, They said to one another, so the entire nation of Israel says, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. After considering what they saw ahead of them, the people decided that they would turn around. 
And verse 1 tells us that all the congregation, that's all the congregation, wept and cried and complained about what was happening considering their situation and the circumstances that they currently found themselves in. Now keep in mind, we're talking about thousands of people. Thousands of people who are in agreement to go one direction and only a handful who are willing to go in a different direction. The popular, overwhelming consensus was to go back towards Egypt. But Caleb refused to conform to the opinions, the thoughts, and the decisions of the crowd around him. Why? Because he knew it was in direct disobedience to God. Take this in for me, if you will. More times than not, running with the crowd leads to rebelling against God. So the crowd may be living it up every weekend. The crowd may be sleeping around with whoever they want to. The crowd may say, live how you want to live. The crowd may say, this is so much better, but you as a man or woman of God are to be built different. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end is the way to death. These people were eventually going to die because of the way in which they wanted to go. They were headed for a desert of death instead of a paradise of promise. Now, which one would you rather have given the choice? Pretty obvious. Desert of death? Paradise of promise. Survey should have said paradise instead of desert. But these people had it in their mind that they had a specific direction and a specific way that they wanted to go in, and that way led unto death. The majority of the crowd chose that way. And as we're talking about this, listen, I don't want you to get caught up thinking it was easy for Caleb to withstand the pressure of what was popular. Don't get that confused at, at any moment. Of course it wasn't easy for him to go against what everybody else was saying. It's hard enough to say no to a few people. How many of you have had a hard time saying no? Now, I'm not talking about the hanging out or whatever. I'm talking about just in general. Somebody asks you to do something. There's something inside of you that just absolutely will not allow you to say no to that person. You're a yes man. You will do anything and everything, and because of that, you get taken advantage of to an extent. But don't think that this is easy for Caleb. There's a few people. We're not talking about a few people. We're talking about a few thousand people who Caleb was saying no to repeatedly over and over and over again. Caleb, we're going back to Egypt. That's fine. Go ahead. I'm not going. Caleb, we're going back to Egypt. That's fine. Go ahead. I'm not going. Hey, Caleb, dude, we're going back to Egypt. You want to come? No, that's fine. Y'all are doing that. I'm not going. He refused to be a part of this rebellion. I understand. Listen, I understand it's difficult to withstand the pressure of popularity. To not just give up and join in. Which seems a whole lot easier at times, does it not? I know what it can be like to sit at home when everyone else is at the club. I know what it can be like to fight for purity when everyone else is promiscuous. I know what it can be like to scroll social media and see the pics in the videos of the experiences everyone is happen, having. But I also know what it's like to sit in counsel with a broken soul in my office who decided to conform to the crowd 
and ended up desolate in a desert, begging to get out of that place. But you don't see that post, do you? Nobody puts that on their social media. That kind of stuff doesn't make it to the story. At the same time, I need you to hear this as well. If you've just been in the crowd, that's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is it doesn't matter where you have been, what decisions you have made, even if you have decided to make your way back to Egypt and live in bondage you didn't even realize you had been in, Jesus can set you free. Jesus' blood can cleanse your soul. Jesus can take your deepest, darkest sin stains, and though it be like scarlet, wash it white as clean. I understand it's not easy, but stand your ground. One last thing, we're going to move on, because I want you to hear this as well. I want you to know there's a difference between isolation and separation. Jesus never calls us to isolate ourselves from the world, but he does call us to separate ourselves from it. And I'm not saying that you don't allow yourself to be around those people that need a gospel influence in their life, that need to see the light and love of Jesus shining and pouring out from you. I'm not telling you to isolate yourself from them, but I am telling you to separate yourself from the things of the world so that they can know there's something built different about this person. Not conforming, by the way, it's a weird way to walk. Doesn't look normal. So we don't conform to the crowd. We also don't allow fear to consume faith. Go back and look at verse 7. It says that all the congregation of the people of Israel are upset. They're distraught. And Caleb and Joshua speak out and they say, The land which we pass through to spite out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So these people, after hearing the spy report, became terrified of the inhabitants of the land, so much so that their fear absolutely consumed them. And the way that Caleb was choosing to go was indeed scary. I don't want you to lose sight of that detail. It was terrifying. He himself was going out to stare down some massively huge people and enemies, but he didn't allow his fear to consume his faith. As a matter of fact, you look at the statements that Caleb makes. He says, the Lord will bring us in. Don't fear the people. Their protection is removed. The Lord is with us. All of those were faith statements that Caleb was clinging to in his own personal life. Now, I want to make something abundantly clear at this point because I believe a lot of church leaders get this wrong. So often we make it out to be that people of faith should never have fear. And we'll tell you something along the lines of, well, you know what fear is, don't you? Fear is the absence of faith. <laughs> That's what that is. That is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever heard in my life. Very often the direction that God sends our lives in will have their share of scary and fearful moments. God never tells us in his word that our lives are to be absent of fear. 
But he did promise in his word that he will be with us in the midst of that fear, that he will never leave or forsake us. So fear not. Why? Because I am with you. In the life of a believer who holds fast to God, fear isn't the absence of faith, but it can be the assister of faith. So in those moments where I do become fearful, I use that to my advantage to push me into a deeper faith, a deeper dependence, a deeper reliance upon my God who is the only one that can bring me through the situation that I am terrified of. Now on top of all that, can I point out one more detail about this situation to you? Because I really feel like God wants to help some of you out in this. 99% of these people were afraid of something that they had never even seen their fear is coming out of what they had only been told by the 12 people that had gone in there. And a lot of you are carrying around fear of something that you've never even seen. Somebody's only told you about. So listen, you're afraid. Some of you are afraid of a missional calling because someone told you it's dangerous. Some of you are afraid of a ministry calling because someone told you it's difficult. Some of you are afraid to be bold in your witness. Because someone told you that you would lose people. Some of you are afraid for your career because someone told you the economy was bad. And when we get fearful, we get forgetful about the fact that God said that I will never forsake you. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not fear for I am with you. But we do get fearful at times. And that's okay because I've got one more detail. If you go back and look at Verse 9, and what Joshua he says, he's talking about their enemy. And he says that they are bread for us. You know what you do with bread? You eat it. And the people of Israel should have known that because they had bread for breakfast every daggum day that they were wandering around in the wilderness. So you know what that tells me? Their faith should have consumed their fear. And the same is true in your life as a believer. Your faith has the ability to consume your fear. Faith looks at fear as a feeding opportunity. You know how I know that? Psalm 23, 5, God says, You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. it! I love the word of God. Faith looks at fear as an opportunity to sit down and be fed so that I can grow in a larger quantity so the next time fear shows up, I consume it with my faith. I got news for the devil. Every time you want to continue bringing fear up in this life, you're only giving my faith an opportunity to feed and grow bigger. Don't let somebody tell you that as a believer you can't have fear in your life. Would lose count of how many times God told Joshua and Caleb as they were getting ready to go into the promised land to be strong and courageous. Don't fear. Don't fear. Don't fear. As a believer, your faith has the ability to consume your fear. And learning to do so is a characteristic of someone who is built different. But if you're going to walk in a different way than everybody else, I need to warn you about this as well. Don't be surprised by the stones. Verse 10 says that after Caleb made his stand against the people and decided he was going to go in a different direction, that the congregation came together and 
they took up stones with which to stone him. After Caleb and Joshua call the people in their rebellion and make a stand for their faith and issue a refusal to fall back in fear, the people rally together to stone them. Now, if you're not familiar with what stoning is, because I never take it for granted that everybody in this room had a church upbringing. So there are some things that we may talk about in church lingo that we don't realize from time to time that you may not be understanding. If you're not familiar with what stoning is, quite simply this. It's a group of people picking up a bunch of big rocks, pelting somebody with it until they die. Stone. They pick up stones. They're going to stone Caleb and Joshua. Why? All because Caleb decided he was going to walk in a different way than them. Hadn't broken any laws. Hadn't stolen from anybody. Hadn't committed adultery with anybody's wife. Hadn't committed murder or anything like that. Only because they were announcing that they were going to walk in a different way than the people around them. These people became so enraged that they picked up stones to kill them. And I'm not saying this to discourage you in any way, but if you choose to walk in a different way, don't be surprised when the stones start flying towards you as well. Stephen in the book of Acts was stoned for his faith. Paul in Corinthians talks about how he was stoned for his faith. Jeremiah in the Old Testament as a prophet of God was stoned for his faith. Isaiah in the Old Testament as a prophet of God was stoned for his faith. They even tried to stone Jesus one time when he was walking on the earth. When you walk in the way of faith and you direct your life towards Christ, people will get upset. They'll throw stones of insult at you. They will throw stones of mocking at you. They will throw stones of abandonment at you. They'll throw stones of judgment at you. Your friends may throw them. Your family may throw them. Your co-workers may throw them. Your teammates may throw them. Unfortunately, there may be some people inside the church that throw them at you as well. It will happen. That's why I'm telling you don't be surprised because we can handle it better when we're not caught off guard by it. And don't be discouraged by it because it's in and through those moments that God reveals His glory. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Verse 13 goes on to say that through these instances, the glory of God is revealed. Now I need you to see this. Go back to verse 10. We've got to read the rest of the verse. Numbers 14, verse 10. It says, All the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. Most subsurface discoveries happen by accident. Did you realize that? Most subsurface discoveries happen by accident. Y'all are too young to get this reference, but just ask the Beverly Hillbillies, right? Perfect example. Most subsurface discoveries happen by accident. I knew you wouldn't get that. That's fine. I'm getting older and older by the minute. Some things you just have to accept in life. Most of them happen by accident. I'll give you the simplest of examples that I could think of. When I was a kid, I was out in the yard, and 
we were in the process of building a new house, our family was, and we had went out there and gotten moved in, but, you know, kind of the rubble was left over from moving the dirt and all that good stuff, and as a young boy growing up, I did what any young boy did, and anything that I could find to throw, I picked it up and threw it. It didn't matter what it was, so I had a whole pile of rocks out there in the yard, and probably confession time in front of my parents who were sitting in the back, began to pick up those rocks and pound them on the brand new brick of the new house. So I'm picking up those rocks, and I'm chunking them against the brick as hard as I can. I picked up one that was pretty decent size, ran back and flung it up against the brick, and I noticed that it cracked right down in the middle. And I went over there, and I picked it up, and I kind of just pulled on the edges of it like that, and it popped open, and when it opened up, there was the most perfect fossilized shell inside that rock, and I thought it was the coolest thing as a kid. I was like, whoa. Like, I want to see pictures of this stuff in my science book. I didn't know it was, like, actually real. I didn't know this stuff really existed. So I, like, walked around all day looking at that fossilized shell, and I kept it in my room for the longest time. I took it to school and showed all my buddies. You know, sometimes it, it takes those who don't know any better. Hurling rocks at us, causing us to crack at times so that under the surface of our lives, they can see God's glory coming through. And if it leads to God's glory, I'll take a rock or two. When you walk a different way, don't be surprised by the stones. Choosing not to conform to the crowd, to not allow fear to consume your faith, to allow yourself to be pelted by a rock or two to choose to go in an unpopular direction than everyone else. It's a weird way to walk. But if you don't conform, if you don't be consumed, if you don't be surprised, you won't be disappointed in the destination. If you were to flip over to verse 30, God's word says this is, God is speaking to Moses. He says, not one of the people of Israel shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. When the dust settled, God's judgment upon the faithless was for the rest of their lives to be spent wandering in wilderness, never entering the promised land. But Caleb's destination was different. He would get to experience God's promise and God's blessing. Listen, the people abused Caleb's faith. God affirmed Caleb's faith. And because of his desire to follow the direction that God had set him upon, God was going to affirm him in that and bring him into blessing and bring him into promise. Listen, John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way. Isaiah 30, 21 says, this is the way. Walk in it. Matthew chapter 7 says, the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Joshua 3 says, follow me as God's speaking to his people and they're going into the promised land that you may know the way you shall 
go. Commit to walk in the way of Christ and you will never be disappointed in the destination that he brings you to. Never. I need you to ask your neighbor one more question as we finish tonight. Can you do it? Turn to him and ask, will you walk the walk? Will you walk the walk? Look, listen. In Numbers 13, Caleb talked the talk. We can go in. Let us go up at once. We are well able to overcome it. In Numbers 14, Caleb walks the walk. I'm not going back. I'm moving in. Servants who are built different, they do both. They talk the, the talk. They also walk the walk. Let's be built different for the glory of God and the people around us. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.